Hello and welcome to episode Jace Horluck of the Cost for Pointcast. I'm your co-host Trevor Shackles, joined for one more time by my fellow co-host Colin Cudmore. Well, Colin, even after the draft, there's been plenty to talk about with the Sens. How are you feeling with the most recent slew of news? Man, it's really been uphill and downhill and so much happening. Um, more than we're used to with the Sens around free agency period. They've made one of the, probably their most important signing in uh, like a few years now, at least. Um, we'll talk about that soon. And then also some of my least favorite signings in the last little while, too, which we'll also talk about. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely more active than I expected them to be in in this uh, whole slew of, of of free agency and contract periods. But it's not over either. I mean, we still have a couple more arbitration cases coming up, but uh, definitely no shortage of stuff to talk about today. For sure. And why don't we start with the biggest move that, that you alluded to? And that is something that really came out of nowhere and that's Evgeny yeah. Dadanov signing for uh three years and with a cap hit of five million dollars what are your thoughts on that signing well it's the most important signing the Suns have done since probably Clark MacArthur out of free agency to be honest um fantastic value three years and five million dollars per year uh for a guy who's put up the offensive numbers he has in Florida I mean that's incredible uh, I mean you're talking about a guy who spent um Sometime in the NHL, went over to the KHL, and then came back to the NHL and was, was even effect- and has been effective in his last few years. It's not often we see that happen, but Dadonov's been a very interesting case that way. So it seems Russian fever has really been hitting Ottawa lately, which has been uh-huh. quite the unexpected turn of events. So I mean, I'll <laughs> happily welcome Dadonov to the Sens. But uh, yeah, you're right. Totally out of left field. There weren't even any rumors I saw about this, which is so weird for the Sens. You either see something get completely leaked out of oblivion, like the jerseys, or something completely... Um, unexpected happens like the Shabbat extension and now the Dadanov signing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm to- I'm pretty pleased with the signing, which is something I didn't expect from the Sens to do. Uh, they spend they're, they're they're spending money, which is maybe even more unexpected. Um, I guess this is what hit, helps them uh, hit the cap floor and help them stay within budget. I guess so. Uh, I, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in with Melnick's master plan. Apparently, so a uh, bit of a turn in that. So I don't know what, what, what are your how are you feeling about Dadanov on the Sens right now? You're right about it coming out of left field. It was just, I was so shocked when I saw that news because, you know, you say it's it's the biggest signing since MacArthur. And to be honest, I would say even before that because MacArthur signed for two years and $3.25 million per year. And he wasn't, I mean, I think fans were kind of like somewhat excited to to bring him on, but I don't think people were expecting you know, huge things from him. Evgeny Dadanov could have easily gotten, or I think people were expecting him to sign for four or five years, maybe like $6 million or something like that. The fact that he chose Ottawa is, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love to know really why he came. Um, apparently, Artem Anisimov was, um, you know, talking to him. So maybe he really wanted to sign because of him. But then again, he only has one year left on his contract. So um, the fact that Dorian could get Dadanov on a deal this cheap and on a, on a contract that there's really no risk at all uh, in terms of the terms, uh, in terms of the, the length of the contract, like three years, that's nothing. Um, he, he's 31 years old, so it's not as if he's in his prime anymore, but he should still be like a productive player with at least 50 points and, and potential for 60 or potentially even 70. Um, so yeah, like I would honestly say that, you know, you go back to the free agent signings of like Gonchar and Kovalev and and you could even make a case that he's a better signing than those two as well because both of those guys were uh even older as well so it's just 
it's so strange to have a, a legitimately good top six player sign in Ottawa because, I mean, pretty much every offseason, their best free agent signing is like some fourth line player or maybe like a seventh defenseman, like, you know, Johnny Oduya or something like that. So it's it's pretty wild, Colin. Yeah, in a vacuum, I think you can make a case that he is the most important signing going back to all those years. But I also feel like some context is needed in this case uh, because the Sens, at least from my perspective, I don't expect them to be competitive uh, very much during the length of his contract. And even yeah. at that third year, I don't expect that Dadunov will have nearly as much value by the end of that. So if you're looking at someone like MacArthur, who came in at a time where the Sens were just growing into this really competitive team and making the playoffs every other year, apparently... Um, and actually like had the expectations to be uh, a Stanley Cup contending or not a contending team, but one that would actually at least have a decent chance of making the playoffs. Um, the Sens just aren't in that position right now. And totally. Uh, well, while they could potentially make a run at it in the next three years, it would take a, f- a couple big turns of events, I think, and bring Dabnov into that. So that was kind of my initial reaction to the signing was just a bit of confusion. Like, why are the Sens of all years, finally targeting a top player in free agency. So, uh, but I guess in a vacuum, yeah, I, I'm still fine with it. And even I guess in context, I think it's 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 a pretty good move. It, it definitely clears some way for their depth players to um, for for their depth on the right wing to to really flourish for the next few years. It doesn't have to force guys like like Drake Batherson into a top line role essentially. Yeah, alongside Brady Kachuk and whoever there. So, um, in terms of his, what I expect from him going forward. Um, it, it's a bit difficult because they're, he played with some pretty strong teammates in Florida and on the power play, he was probably the weakest link of that, uh, that group, even though he, I think he could be a solid power play contributor. I think that he definitely benefited a lot from having some like elite passers on his, his team in Barkov and Huberto who would yeah. really just knew how to move the puck and played with a system that really helped him out that way. And I don't think Ottawa's power play does that at all, or even has the players to facilitate that or even close to that. So uh, that's the thing I floated around on Twitter was maybe pairing Dadanov with Logan Brown, who is mm. probably this already the, the Sens' best playmaker here, for being honest, which maybe says more about the Sens than anything else. But Brown is quite the playmaker in his own right, so I'd be really curious to see how those two work out. Um, maybe they, 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 I guess they both. I'm not entirely sure which, which side Dadanov likes to play on. Right side, play, but uh, oh, right side, play. yeah, I'm yeah, not sure on the power and, play, but. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure about that, how that will work out, but I think that that would just be an interesting combination to foster into the universe. So, um, yeah, curious to see how he'll perform, especially when uh, which center he'll be paired with as well. That would be another big question. But uh, so many options going forward, I guess. You know what? You're right. I'd be very interested to see a trio of Kachuk, Logan Brown, and Dadnov. Um, like even mm-hmm. at five on five, not just on the power play. Yeah, I think agreed. that's a, a good combination. Like Dadnov is a scorer on that line. Kachuk can be in front of the net like he always is, and Brown can be that playmaker. I think that has some some really good potential. So um, we'll get into Logan Brown a bit later, I think. But um, you know, I'd love to see him get a chance in the top six to start the year. So uh, that is definitely something to keep an eye on because, I mean. Others who could be on that top top line as the center, I mean, it, you know, you're looking at maybe Chris Tierney or Colin White. I don't think any of those guys really have, uh, has the upside that Logan Brown does. So I would be thrilled to, you know, at least see that as an experiment. Yeah, and I know we have a listener question similar to this later, but I'm already convinced of Logan Brown as an NHL player, given the results mm-hmm. he put up last year. Yes. I think same. he re- realistically may even be Ottawa's best centerman already, um, which again, it doesn't say too much about this. I think it says more about... <laughs> The quality of the Sens center yeah. core right now, how weak it is. But 
Uh, he actually did have some pretty high um, goals above replacement numbers, or I wouldn't say high. It was still like a bottom six level, but uh, compared to the rest of the Sens roster, he was like right up there, uh, not too far behind like Brady Kachuk even, uh, yeah. surprisingly enough. So in his small sample. So I think that's a uh, interesting option. Uh, anything else you have to add on this? Well, I-, I think it's interesting to talk about briefly. Would you think that... Anthony Duclair could still come back. And would you bring him back if you had the option? Ooh, now that this is gone, I, I feel like it's a bit difficult to justify. Um, one, because of the broken relationship that seemingly has, uh, that's is seemingly there with the team now, now that they didn't qualify him. But uh, I mean, it, looking at the situation now, I know we, we um, were more confused about it on the last episode, but it seems like Duclair definitely made a bit of a mistake on his end by representing himself. Yeah. I mean, uh, following in the footsteps of Drew Doughty isn't exactly the best thing in the NHL right now. So um, to see that he's still unsigned, I think um, I, I, I hope that he can find a good landing spot because I still think he's a useful player that deserves to get a good shot on a team still. Uh, and I think that it was a good fit for him in Ottawa last year uh, that they were able to give him that shot. Um, but I'm not sure who else is out there that will be willing to do that. And especially because we mentioned he is still a flawed player. He's still was one of the Sens' worst players defensively last year. Um, that, um, yeah, I, I really just hope for him as a person that he finds a landing spot and that he can get himself into a good role. But Ottawa right now, maybe one of the best suitors, but still it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to watch because, like you said, yeah, I think he kind of shot himself in the foot. Um, probably thought he could have gotten a lot more on the open market, which I don't really know why he thought that, to be honest, because, you know, you you see how he was valued in terms of his previous contracts and on the trade market. Um, so, and, and you know what? It it sounds like Ottawa actually did give them a, or sorry, give Duclair a decent enough offer. Like they were giving him, him a raise and stuff. So I could imagine them, they probably offered him somewhere in the 3 million, like three between three to 4 million, somewhere around there probably. And so, you know, I think, I think we can both probably retract a bit of what we said, um, still doesn't make them look good, but yeah. you know, probably a lot of that was declare. So I, I will say that about the situation. Um, yeah. and yeah, like you yeah. said, you know, he's sorry, go ahead. Declare's a player who is kind of coaches kryptonite in a sense. Yeah. Like everywhere he's gone, the coaches have seemingly hated him for, he, even for his on ice play, he's just not a guy who's really conducive to really winning over coaches in that way, which I think is maybe a bias, more of a bias on the coach's part. But uh, yeah, it seems to be a continuing trend with the Sens in that sense. Yeah, and like like you were saying, he's definitely a flawed player, and he isn't someone that I would want at, as a core piece moving forward. I just thought he was going to be a someone worth taking a shot on. But mm-hmm. you know, if if they're not going to have that money, and and you know, he's going to be wanting four to five million dollars for like multiple years then i'm fine with them walking away because i i would have dadanov on this contract then declare on what he was asking like a hundred times out of a hundred times so um yeah it, it's i honestly could see him signing like a one-year deal again somewhere which as you were saying is is obviously not good for him in terms of just his overall well-being because you know he's been going from place to place all the time but um i don't see how he signs a you know i can't see him signing a big contract especially just with with covid and everything right now yeah his initial ask definitely seems to have gone down um anything else you want to add to this big signing um not not with dadnov specifically but i did want to briefly touch on as well um after that signing pierre lebrun had said about 
the fact that Ottawa and Dorian might not be done, um, seemingly aren't done. So I don't know, like, what do you think they could actually be adding to the roster? Um, I'm skeptical of that, to be honest. Um, I mean, given how little was, was foreseen about Dadunov, I'm not entirely sure um, what can be said of that at this point. And I guess it's been a little bit since that since that's happened too. So, and we haven't really seen any rumblings and the Suns have been really occupied by uh, their RFAs now. So it seemed to have kind of moved on. So honestly, I don't really think that anything is happening. I don't know, do you have a different take on this? Maybe, but I know that Bruce Garriock had also mentioned before the draft and everything that they were looking at acquiring another center, which they haven't done yet. And I don't think that's really a need, but it seems like they were really trying to get like a, a veteran top six center. I don't know if they could actually, I mean, that is a piece that would be very expensive normally. So who knows if they're actually going to get that, but I could see them getting like some sort of middle six center, which is the last thing they need to be honest, because they, you know, something that they lack is that first line center, which isn't going to be available in a trade anyway. So who knows? Maybe they, maybe they end up bringing in one other forward. Uh, We know it won't be a defenseman or a goalie because they, you know, it seems like they're pretty, um, don't have much room in those positions. So we didn't see the Dadunov signing coming. So I'm not even going to pretend like I know what they're going to do next, if they do something uh, at all. Yeah, agreed. Um, So the next item on our list is something that we were, I think we can probably say that we're not as much of a fan of, at least. Uh, And that was the Austin Watson trade, traded from the National Predators for a draft pick. Uh, What was your take on this one, Trevor? (sighs) There's a lot of complicated things with this trade. And we can maybe get into the off-ice stuff in a second, although that's... It's, it's sensitive, right? And it's it's hard to talk about. But in terms of his on-ice results, you know, trading a fourth-round pick is not a whole lot of value. It You know, it's not something to be so worked up about. But I don't really see why they even had to give up that fourth, to be honest, because, you know, this is a guy that has, has been a, a fourth-liner his, his whole career and hasn't really been that impactful. Like, even just from a... Um, box store box score perspective you know he's never had 20 points in a single season um you know he's someone that is going to be taking a lot of penalty minutes um throwing a lot of hits around someone that profiles as a quote-unquote tough to play against kind of guy and they've you know they've done that with erica branson and josh brown as well and i but the thing is like the results are not there the the shot numbers are not there he just gets crushed every time he's on the ice and Mm -hmm. He, you know, he's making one and a half million for the next three years. I would be much more okay with this if this was a good Branson type thing where, you know, he was a UFA at the end of the year and you could convince yourself that he'd be gone when, when they're trying to be good. But I think they think he's legitimately good. And that's kind of worrisome because yeah, he's just going to be a fourth liner, but I don't know. I mean, we've said this about so many guys in the past, like Tom Pyatt and Chris Kelly and. And, and those kind of things add up. So I, I'm not loving that acquisition. Um, and yeah, any different thoughts in terms of, at least in the on-ice aspect of it? Um, yeah, well, you mentioned that they do add up, and we've seen that firsthand with the Senators, and that's what held them back for years when they had Eric Carlson and Mark Stone on their team, and they held them back because they kept giving these chances to these coaches' favorites who were dragging down results. And Watson definitely fits that same sort of mold where I have – uh, Mike and McCarty's model up right here on offense. He uh, brings a minus 14% uh, 
on expected goals for and plus 12. So, so he's getting more expected goals against on defense. So this is a guy yes. who is, who grades as below replacement level consistently throughout models, which means that uh, essentially that the Suns could have signed a league minimum player and expected to get more results from them. So why they went for Watson is, I want to say I, I, I don't know why, but I also know, we know why, why because we, we, we know why, because he's one of those tough to play against players, quote unquote. I say that kind of sarcastically. Um, and this is in the same mold as Josh Brown and Gabranson, like you said. And two other guys who I should add were below replacement level uh, consistently throughout their careers as well. So um, it seems the Sens are really building their brand right now. They're trying to turn into this asshole team, which, <laughs> I mean, can go some places, I guess. Um, Brad Marchand is, is, is definitely one of those guys who's really good and definitely gets under player skins. They drafted really Greg as well. They drafted uh, even Jake Sanders to an extent is one of those more defensively focused players. Um, but it seems like they're also like, ignoring some uh, blatant flaws here and yeah. ignoring the data as well, which we've has been kind of apparent with the Sens for like way too long now. And, and it's just concerning for their pro scouting department, to be honest. You know um, what, Colin? And I think it's really important to note too that you can be hard to play against like like those guys that you mentioned like like uh, Marshawn and you know Brady Kachuk even you can be hard to play against and also good it's not like these things are mutually exclusive (laughs) right so it's I like I'm all for guys who are physical and tough and and can really grind it out and can really add that um that extra gear like you know you saw that with some of the guys that Tampa Bay added to their roster this year you know that you know they just added a a bit of size and a bit of you know, grit to their lineup and, and whatever. So I'm fine with that as long as you just put up the results. But, you know, like you show the data, I, I can't ignore that. And I know some people um, aren't into that and, you know, they're not into these stats. They just want to look at his hits and his block shots. And it seems like that's what uh, the Sens front office is, is only looking at. And I think it's really important to note that this is another former guy that DJ Smith has coached. Uh, Smith right. was the assistant coach with the Windsor Spitfires for two years when when Watson was there. So I, there's 100% a connection there, and I know that um, I, I like I'd be shocked if if Smith wasn't a part of this acquisition and kind of like advocating for him. Yeah, and as, yeah, it really is just a bad indictment on the pro scouting department, which has been that way for years. And actually, the members haven't changed that much either in, in the years. So it's a, it's always been the same small, insular group of guys who've been providing the same analysis. So um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter right now in the scheme of the Suns are not really that good of a team and aren't expected to be very good next year. And in that sense, he may totally. even help the tank, tank the bit. But my concerns are really going to start to grow when this when we see this the trend and when there's going to eventually be a time. Well, who knows under Melody, But whenever there comes a time where they're going to need to be competitive, what are they going to do to actually elevate them to that cup contender status? And it's, it's through signing the depth players that really bring them over the edge and getting those um, extra little edges, competitive advantages over other teams. And the Sens are way the Sens aren't even close to getting ahead of the curve. They're way behind the curve with these signings like these. And Watson, just another example of that. And should we get into the off-ice stuff? Because that had my skin crawling for the week. Yeah, do you want... I'll I'll let you start with that. Um, Well, I can't say that I've... Well, it's a tough situation to navigate. So Watson was arrested and charged with beating his girlfriend last summer. And 
there has been some there have been developments on this and Watson seems to have uh, changed himself and made himself more of an advocate for certain mental health issues and, and other things like that. Um, but at the same time, this is an issue that the Sens are still going to have to deal with. And it's the player that the Sens are going to need to have in their locker room now. And it, it's, it's a tough moral situation to navigate when this is a player who got off with some pretty disastrous things for um like he just stepped right back into the league essentially, uh, like with 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 zero repercussions from the with the with from his team in Nashville. So uh, it, it's it's tough to see. I think it like is important to note. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just gonna say I, I think it is important to note too that um you know, a lot of people have been defending him, saying that um his wife takes like all the blame for it and is saying that um because she's an alcoholic and you know um it was actually her fault that night. And, um, you know, Austin, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly how it escalated and stuff, but she was taking the blame for it. And I think they've both actually been, uh, in, in rehab at, at points. Um, so, you know, they have both gone through a struggle and I don't doubt that there is some blame on, on both sides. Um, and they're still together and, you know, hopefully, you know, just from like a human aspect, like I hope they're getting the help that they need. And I, like, mm-hmm. I truly do wish the best for yep. them. Um, but I do think these things are very, they're tough to talk about because I also am aware of situations where sometimes there are, um, you know, survivors of abuse who will stay with their partners, whether they are, um, maybe like they're, they fear that, uh, there might be repercussions for them or they just almost like a, like a Stockholm syndrome type thing where they, they like don't see any wrong with their partner. Now I'm not necessarily saying that is what's happening right here, but I just think people should be aware and shouldn't necessarily totally exonerate Watson for what happened. Um, I, I just, I just don't think I'm able to say either way. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's a terrible person or no, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's reformed himself and he's, he's a really good person now. So it's very complicated. Um, you know, we, we don't know all the facts, but it's it's okay if this situation makes you uncomfortable because it's not, um, yeah, it, it's not something that you want to see, obviously. Yeah, of course, we, won't wanna, we don't want to jump to conclusions, but like you can hear it in our voices right now how uncomfortable these types of things are talk about, to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's really my main point is that the Sens didn't have to do this to us. The Sens just could have just gone and signed some other depth, not right. so good player. And I feel like these types of things should be taken to, into account at least when um, when we've seen how much trauma the Sins have handled in the past years and how much they've talked about trying to get rid of that and trying to get a clean locker room. And adding that right now is is just a, a little extra t- like a thumbtack to the thigh type thing. So Totally. Yeah, it just puts us in a weird spot because like I don't... Like, obviously, if he has changed and he didn't really do anything bad, then that's great. That's what I prefer. But, you know, you can't just you can't just give him a total pass um, because, you know, we, we, we don't know. And, right. And I'm not going to I'm not going to accuse him of being like an awful person or anything. But, yeah, we, we just don't know. It's really complicated. And it, it puts us in a, in a weird spot. Thank you, Perry Dorian, for making us do this segment. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to uh, more of a positive signing. And that is the <laughs> Connor Brown uh, re-signing uh, a few days ago, 
right before his arbitration case. And luckily they didn't have to go to arbitration. So he signed for three years at a cap hit of $3.6 million. Thoughts on that? Uh, I'm a bit surprised that the Sens didn't go to arbitration, first of all. Uh, I mean, the Sens have gone to arbitration more than any other team in the past like decade, I believe, I want to say. Really? They, they've done it. They're at least at the top. I'm just going off my head here. I actually haven't done the research, but I know I know they've gone to arbitration enough to at least be like a, a, like for sure, a surefire top three team. Like so, the Sens still went to arbitration in 2018. They went with Cody CC. Uh, in 26 sorry in 2015 they went with Alex Chiasson and Mike Hoffman. Um, so three times going to arbitration. I know it's not a lot, but it's a pretty rare thing that teams actually go the distance in that. So the Sens have actually been one of the more frequent teams and going to arbitration so um a bit surprised that they didn't go with connor brown although i guess um given that his role last year was was so high up in the lineup um but uh yeah i'm glad that they were at least able to settle for what seems like a fair value it was pretty much right in between uh where the two uh, where the two teams or where the two parties um had just had set their boundaries on, on the contract so yeah i'm not i'm not opposed to this deal um I don't know, what are your thoughts on this one I'm pretty happy with it. I like you said. I think I'm pretty surprised that they didn't go to arbitration. Um, I, you know, maybe like a month ago, I would have been shocked that it had actually taken that long to get a deal done because, you know, both sides had, had you know, Brown had really talked up Ottawa and saying he wants to stay here long term, and Dorian, you know, is obviously a big fan, and so is DJ Smith. So, I guess kind of surprised it took that long, but. I would assume it it sounds like what happened was I mean this is just me guessing but um it would make sense like maybe if Brown was hoping for a bit more on his contract and then at the last second was kind of like okay well like I really don't want to go to arbitration so let's just let's just take this deal um because I'm sure he would have been pushing for that fourth year and I'm really happy that Doron held out for that because um I think 3 years is a perfect term for him uh you know, you don't really want to be giving like a third line player for like more than three years. And, you know, it's not like 3.6 is super cheap, but I think that's pretty fair value. And in, in the in the short term, it's not really something that's going to hamstring them. So I think moving forward, he's he's a good piece to have in the middle six. Um, and yeah, like they, they talk a lot about wanting to keep some of these veteran guys around. He's not really much of a veteran. He's only 26, but I'm glad that they were, you know, after failing to keep Pajot and Boro and DeMello, they were finally able to keep Connor Brown, even though he isn't necessarily a core piece. He's someone that he, he's like a good placeholder in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, two points. First point, if you told me back in January that they wouldn't get a contract until late October, that would have been pretty weird to say in, yeah. in early january but the second point more importantly i think is is that connor brown was a, a pretty miscast character last year on the team he was this team's leading point or not leading point getter leading time on okay let me rephrase that connor brown <laughs> led the entire team connor brown led the entire team in time on ice last year among forwards and defensemen like it's, it's wild how much dj smith relied on him in every single situation as their number one shutdown de facto forward which is weird, and to see him, and and, and, to, and if you told me that on any other team that type of player would have gotten a contract of this value, um, that'd be pretty absurd. But of course, it's, it's the Senators, and they had to kind of do that last year. But um, again, I guess adds more to the surprise that he didn't go to arbitration because he would have had this whole case of how much a coach relied on him and how he performed. I mean, he would he pretty 
he performed pretty mediocrely. Let's be honest. He, he is a third line forwards, maybe fourth line, bottom bottom six. I wouldn't even put him on the second line, to be honest, who was just really miscast last year in a situation to play against top competition. So, um, yeah, it's just such a he's just kind of an odd kind of enigmatic player. And I'd be curious to see what he'd be able to do in a better cast role. as like a third line energy player thing is the Sens kind of have like a whole bunch of those types of players already so he is kind of redundant redundant, redundant in that sense um but uh yeah I'm just kind of curious to see what his what he'll his what his role will be next year and hopefully DJ Smith won't rely on him just as much and maybe those minutes can be taken up by more players but uh yeah he's just, just such a weird guy yeah I think he should pretty clearly be behind Dadanov and Batherson on the right side um I wouldn't be surprised if Brown starts on the second line with Batherson on the third um but I can't see how like Batherson needs to be in the top six you know he's clearly ready for that role um you know he doesn't uh he's not gonna he's not really gonna be very a very productive player if he's in the bottom six so you're right uh we definitely need to look at how DJ Smith uses him because he obviously loved him um he's he is a solid player who can be you can trust him defensively so I think he does bring value on that third line um and yeah like it's it's not a huge signing if you just like in general like around the league you wouldn't really think too much of it but in terms of the significance to Ottawa I think it is pretty significant just because they've really struggled with keeping guys around even though he is just an rfa he was a year away from uh unrestricted free agency so i think the fact that they were able to keep him at least just it doesn't you know it doesn't absolve them uh, ottawa of like everything that they've done but it does help in terms of you know the the narrative that they can't keep guys around even if he is just kind of like an extra piece so it just would would have been would have been um you know, another example of them not being able to keep their guys. I mean, there's a list of questions about that later, so I'll say my thoughts, but I think we should move on to the next yeah. uh, slew of players in uh, well, what we're expecting to come. Or, or sorry, actually, there's a couple more signings that were announced. Uh, Nick Paul uh, was signed for to a one-way contract. Rolf Balsers was signed as well, and so was Joy Decord. Uh, do you want to just quickly bring us through these these uh, few minor signings? Yeah, just really quick. Uh, obviously, Paul got the one-way contract. That's really good for him. Well-deserved. I think he fits in perfectly on the fourth line. You know, can play either on the left wing or at center. Um, so that's great. Balsers, he definitely... I think he can easily fit in the middle six of their lineup. He He's going to need ice time in the at the NHL level, though. Obviously, he was hurt for a bit and was um you know they kept him down down in Belleville for a while but I think he's pretty clearly one of their better players and you know he should he should be getting a lot of ice time so that's good and then Decord very interesting contract structure similar to what Hogberg got a few years ago where he has two years are uh two-way contracts and then another year a third year is one way so they're clearly very high on him. And I think that's an awesome contract structure because I believe he's still an RFA at the end of the, um, at the end of that. So I think they pretty clearly expect Murray to be the starter long-term and Decord to challenge for that. It's weirdly enough that by the end of Joy Decord's contract, he'll already be 27 years old. 
Which is yeah. so weird to think about. Uh, but I guess th- talking about Nick Paul, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that too. He deserved it. I actually have him in the same sort of tier as Connor Brown, to be honest. Um, but in a, in a cast in the actual role that I want Connor Brown to be cast in as a more complimentary, like maybe mm-hmm. uh, third, fourth line player. Um, Balsers, yeah, big fan of his game. Um, I don't think he was a product of his why mates in Belleville, like some may uh, be thinking. I think he was actually holding his own, uh, even apart from guys like um, Drake Batherson and Logan Brown and, and Josh Norris. So um, he was really contributing to all of their success at the same time. Um, I guess my only little stickling thing with him is that he's already 23 years old, which according to, uh, according to aging curves is his prime. Like that is the peak year um, for, for many players. So uh, I expect him to be an impact player immediately. It's been a little bit enough with the waiting. I know we haven't been able to sit with him as much because he was, he came through in a trade, but uh, this is the point in his career where he should be contributing to an NHL lineup at his peak. So, uh, I expect him to do that next season. I'm, I, I'm a fan of Balser's game, and maybe the sense of weighed a bit too long with him, but uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. And yeah, Decord, I'm kind of the same way. Um, goalie, goalie, I, I, I'm definitely on the Decord hype train. Don't get me wrong. I've been on, I've been a fan of his since he was drafted. He's mm-hmm. easily, not not easily. He's up there with as one of the best puck handling goalies I've ever seen. He skates better than many of the, of the Sens forwards, which is kind of weird to think for a goalie. <laughs> Like he's that he's that agile on his feet, and uh, uh, well, he definitely, I guess, has. Uh, I don't want to go into goalie analysis too much. I'm pretty bad at it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the thing is that where I'm good at goalie analysis, I know is that goalies are inherently random, and that there is so much variation from year to year to year, and that he could be like he had a good season this year, but he could be pretty awful next year, and it could be amazing the next year. So where he's going to land in that third year, I have no idea. Um, I think going for that sort of smooth progression with goalies is a very um, concrete way of, of thinking of things when goalies are very are, tend to be the very opposite of that. So uh, I think it's kind of interesting the sentence did that. They did that with Hogberg as well, but uh, hopefully, hoping for the best from Decord because I want to see him succeed and I've been a fan of his since day one. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a bit of a weird thing, but again, nothing against it. I think he's, you mentioned he'll be an RFA at the end, so like all mm-hmm. the more power to them. For sure. And I think... Honestly, I I feel like they kind of expect to lose Marcus Hogberg in the expansion draft. Not that they that will 100% happen, but they're sort of preparing for that. So, yeah, like it, it is funny to think about how a couple weeks ago or a month ago, I guess, Hogberg was the starter and there really wasn't anyone like challenging him for that. And now, you know, you have Matt Murray signed for the next uh Oh my God, I forgot. Was it four years they signed him for? Yeah. Yeah, for, so for four years. And then now you have Decord coming up. And, you know, he's he's right behind Hogberg. And yeah, so it's just pretty interesting to see how now the pressure is really on him. Um, although, funnily enough, if Hogberg plays fantastic this season, there's an even higher chance that he gets taken by Seattle. So um, yeah, not really uh, necessarily a clear path for him to be the long-term starter in Ottawa. But um, I I like the fact that they have a lot of different goalies and they are kind of, they're not putting all their eggs in one basket basket and just seeing what happens. Because as you say, they are inherently random. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think it's a good thing that Sens have kind of been able to foster a good amount of goaltending talent through their own system. Um, even though I think that most of the time you can just kind of uh, go to free agency and find equal value. And spending draft picks and goalies, I something I generally wouldn't do if I were in that position. But uh, 
yeah, it's it's a good position right now, at least what they're in. So, um, yeah, glad, glad, glad that they're at least keeping the court around and showing a bit of faith in him. Mm-hmm. Now, there there are still two RFA cases left, and they are both arbitration eligible. Uh, I mean, do you have anything to say? I don't have too much to say. There's uh, Chris Tierney and Christian Yaros. Yeah, I mean, Tierney's going to get the bigger contract of the two, obviously. I'm, I'm just kind of curious where it's going to land. Um, I think there's a chance that either of them go to arbitration, to be honest, because, I mean, you never know what the sentence in their arbitration and trying to ink out every single penny that they can get. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't have too many thoughts. Tierney is kind of a redundant player in that middle right now. Um, I mean, I say redundant. They don't really have anyone like him, but it's also like what kind of role is he going to provide? Like he's been here for a little bit now and I still don't have an answer to that. Whereas Christian Yaros, um, I mean, I, I was a huge, huge fan of him when he came over to North America. This combination of physicality with actually like really solid and maneuverable skating ability, I thought we actually had the potential to take him pretty far. But obviously injuries have derailed him. Uh, and I also think it's worth pointing out how awful, awful his defensive results have been. Like, <laughs> in, in his call-ups, he's been absolutely atrocious offensively and defensively. Um, so hopefully some improvement has come. I'm much less optimistic about it than when he initially came over. Um, I'm sure the sense will keep him around because, again, he's tall and he can really, really hit players. And I guess that has that has some value to Belleville's lineup. Um, but I don't see any show in his future, unfortunately. So yeah. He's uh, also Tierney, 24 at this point. Yeah, and, and Tierney's just obviously going to be the more interesting case here. For sure. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if Yaris is probably asking for a one-way contract, um, and I'm mm. sure Ottawa's hoping that they can avoid that just because, I mean, they definitely have a glut of defensemen, and even a guy like Brandstrom is probably not going to make the opening night roster. So, like, Yaros definitely wouldn't either. So, um yeah, I guess we'll... Do you know the actual arbitration date? I was trying to look it up. I couldn't actually find the dates. I'm assuming soon. Tierney is November 8th, whereas Christian Yaros is November 7th. Okay, so November 7th and November November 8th. Um, still got some guess, time. Yeah, still got some time. Um, but yeah, not really as interesting as like it's, the, uh, the brown one. Looks like the last day of arbitration is, is uh, November 8th, so right okay. at the end. I see. All right. Um, couple more, couple more segments to go here. And this next one, uh, I know this, you'll, you'll find this entertaining. So I just wanted to briefly mention, I know there are not all the senators prospects are, are playing, but there are some that have, um, you know, been loaned over to, to Europe. And I think some, some interesting guys that have gotten off to good starts include, uh, Robbie Orventi, uh, Vitalia Abramov, Eric Branstrom, and Levy Marilainen. Um, any thoughts about their starts? Hold on, let me put my headphones down for one second. Sample size alert! <laughs> Those are my thoughts. <laughs> it's definitely a sample size, but I will say it's good to see nonetheless. Um, you know, Branstrom, I think, has like. It says three points in four games, but I think he had another one, so I think that's four and five. Abramov has five goals in four games. Like, uh, you know, even even Marilainen, 920 save percentage in, in eight games um, in the U20 league in Finland. So, um, yeah, it's not, uh, you know, it shouldn't necessarily completely change your, your mind on, on any of these guys, but it's still good to see. I'd rather them be playing uh, very well instead of, instead of poorly. So um, just thought we should at least mention that. 
Do you want to get to the listener questions now? All right, we've got a few listener questions. Thank you for the few who submitted some this time. Uh, this first one comes in from at it's Tyler MV. He's actually submitted three questions. Thank you for filling in the gaps this week. Uh, first <laughs> one, uh, what do you think is the X factor for the team's success or failure this year? I think it's definitely, they're going to be very reliant on their young players, right? Like if Drake Batherson can become a legit top six player, if Logan Brown can at least be like a middle six center, uh, you know, Colin White bouncing back, you know, maybe, maybe Branstrom can um, have an impact or, 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 you know, Christian will in on the second pairing because he was, he was injured for most of last year. So all of these guys and, you know, maybe even Josh Norris does as well. So I wouldn't expect, I wouldn't even expect the majority of those guys to, you know, be impactful players, but even if just two, three, four of them are, you know, better than expected, or at least, you know, come into their own in, at the NHL level, then that's, that's awesome for them. Yeah, I think there's two kind of ways to look at this. Uh, the first one is is if you want to measure success by how well they do in the standings. I think the big thing there is probably Matt Murray. I mean, so much hinges on the goalie, and Matt Murray kind of has so much yeah. volatility to his performance. So I think that is will be a, a huge effect on top of everything you mentioned as well. But I think I'm kind of going into, into the season with the same sort of mindset I did last year, where success to me is not about in the points. I still expect the Sens to finish pretty close to the bottom, if not dead last next year. Um where I just kind of want to see more progression from the prospects. And I think that this year, as you mentioned, that will involve more players stepping into the NHL and establishing themselves. Maybe that will help in the points in the, in the standings, but if they can see players um, continue to, to improve on their success in the AHL, see more players continue, see more players step into those roles with other players stepping into the NHL. I think that's going to be uh, huge. And even the prospects they drafted this year, they're going to be important um, whenever the times are competitive to and needing to fill in, their spots assuming this window assuming this whole quote-unquote plan goes to as expected which i mean we, we know the sense is always going to be some wrench in it but uh yeah more more improvement from the young guys if you want to look at standings then matt murray's the guy to look at um i'd like to move on to the second question from it's tyler mv uh second question is getting a deal done with connor brown uh have the sense done enough to rid themselves of the can't keep players narrative yeah and i briefly mentioned that earlier i yeah. i think it definitely helps with that um, especially some fans who, I don't know, maybe like have forgotten uh, some of their some of their history and maybe aren't p- paying as close attention. I still think it's people who are you know diehards and paying attention all the time. They know they know it's nothing has changed here. It's it's not their ability to keep their RFAs. It's the ability to keep the UFAs. Like even even their their lesser role players like Boro and Demello and Pajot, Like they weren't even able to keep those guys. So. It's, you know, we'll, we'll know in a few years if things have actually changed, which, I mean, at least from my perspective, my hope about them in the future doesn't come from a, you know, like, I think they have a really good prospect pool, and I'm hopeful for that, but I'm not hopeful with a Melnick-owned team. I'm hopeful that he'll sell the team at some point, and that's when they'll, you know, really elevate themselves into becoming a contender. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they have a long way to go to shed that label, and rightfully so. Yeah, I, for me, no, it, did, it does not absolve them at all of that. I think that even if you look at the players who left, there's a reason why they haven't been thanking Dorian and Melnick. It's been a really, really toxic environment there um, where players want out, and there's good reason why. 
And uh, yeah, I'm of the same boat where under any Mounic owned team, I'm going to be totally apathetic. I don't see how this team can have success under um, under their current financial situation with with Mounic owning the team. So um, even I'd even go as far to say that a Brady Kachuk long term extension wouldn't even change things for me in that sense because it's, again, RFA is a very different situation than, than their UFAs. And when are they going to be able to keep these players? It's 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 it's, it's going to be rough. So again, Melnick is definitely yeah. a hinging factor here. Um, I think let's move on to the, the next question before we get too pessimistic about things. <laughs> is Eric and Branson the next Cody CC experiment? Future name of my band 2.0. <laughs> um, I'm not totally sure. I see the see the comparison there. I don't know. I mean, Branson has one year left on his deal, and I would assume and hope that they're not going to resign him after that. Um. I see, as as you you say here on the, in the notes that you know we already have Nikita Zaitsev, so he's pretty much the the CC replacement. Good Branson is more. I'm trying to think of a comparable that we would have had. Um, I don't really know to be honest, but I know they just like guys who can who are, who are big and can hit a lot and block shots and everything. So he's just he, you know he's just his own player that is gonna provide negative results. Early Mark Borvietsky maybe. You could say, maybe, yeah, honestly, and and not a bad comparison too, with also how good of a a person he seems off the ice. So, like at least, at least he's a, a very likable guy in that in like you know as a human. Yeah, I mean, Cody CC experiments, quote in quotes, uh, really just depends on how much they want to play him, and if he's playing twenty minutes a night in their defensive role like Cody CC was miscast, then that's not good, and that is the Cody CC experiment over. But yeah, they they already have Zaitsev doing that. Um, to have a second one would be kind of some nightmarish and make some make for some pretty uh, treacherous hockey to watch that I probably won't <laughs> even be watching anyways. So um, shall we move on to our last question? Oh, we got more questions. Two more, yeah. But um, yeah, this one comes from Adam Wyland. He says, what is your best guess on which forward makes the team out of camp and becomes a permanent NHLer? Batherson, Abramov, Schlopik, Logan Brown, Norris, Balsers, Formanton, and Davidson come to mind. Stutzla, I imagine, will get a long look, but which prospect finally claims a permanent spot? Ooh, so this is it's a fun one, um, because the Sens have so many open spots in their forward core right now that I think that um, there's a better chance than not that the majority of the players you just listed, Adam, are are going to <laughs> secure some permanent spots, whether, whether they're deserving of it or not. Um, I think that it's, it'll be good to see that these players claim some spots. I think uh, some players you mentioned, uh, Philip Schlappick, uh, Rudolph Balsers and Logan Brown are the first three that come to mind as guys who are already, I think, have actually even established themselves in the NHL. Schlopping and Brown, for sure, I think, were actually very solid in NHL last year. Schlopping was actually the Sens' best defensive forward last year. And Logan Brown, as I said earlier, is probably Ottawa's best center already. So I think those are two guys. Whereas Balsers, again, as I mentioned, with the age, I think he, he at least needs to at this point. And I think that uh, he's had a couple extended stints right now that he's one of the more likely players. Drake Batherson as well. I think can be included in this because as we've seen, he, there's no more room for improvement for him in the, in the AHL. He's done everything he can do there. So yeah. th- those are, so while Logan Brown, I think they may have a bit more rope and give him a bit more time to come into the roster. I think Batherson and Schlopik Balters are three guys who can make it immediately out of camp. Then you got to look at Brown, you look at Abramov and Josh Norris, who will be working their way up shortly. I think uh, maybe not immediately. They're kind of wild cards given the amount of forward spots they have. Um, maybe Formanton could even play into that. Into that, although I'm actually kind of less convinced um, that he'll be immediately ready. I think he'll need some more time in the AHL to really hone his offensive skill set. And I guess Jonathan Davison is the one guy in on the list who I think is kind of an outlier from the rest. Um, 
I, I've definitely been a fan of what he's done in Sweden, um, but very little of it translated to North American ice last year, which I, I think was a bit concerning and something I didn't see coming really. Um, so maybe he's a wild card. I know that it was two seasons ago, even he almost made it out of camp in Columbus before he was traded. So um, he is a bit of a wild card. I don't see it. I think they'll want to see him prove himself in the AHL first, like they did with the prospects last year. But uh, I don't know. Interesting name. But I think it's, it's more of these players than not. will will probably make it at some point. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think I think that Brown has a, a pretty good chance of making the roster right away just because it's not as if they're really that deep at center. And I kind of see him as similar to Batherson in the sense that he hasn't been as good as Batherson in the AHL, but I don't think he really has that much to prove down there. So <clears throat> I think they're going to want to see what he can do from the beginning. Um you know, maybe, hopefully, even give him a, a chance on that first line with with Kachuk and and Dadunov. We'll see. Um, and I think also Stutzla has a, a pretty good chance to make it as well, um, if he's going to be allowed to play at least by the German Federation and um, uh, Munich. I believe he's on Munich, right? The team in Germany. Um, Mannheim. So, sorry, Mannheim. Yes, thank you. So I th- I think he has a, a pretty good chance to make it just because. The Senators had talked about him being like one of the most NHL-ready prospects in this draft. So I think they're pretty convinced that he can play in, in the NHL right away. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's like five guys right there from that list that could make it. I, I could see maybe like Schlopik, you know, maybe he ends up starting uh, as a 13th forward or something. So not all of these guys are going to be, be able to make it. And the good news is, while not all of them will, will turn out, like to be good NHL players, they don't really need them to be because they don't have the room anyway. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I'm pretty optimistic in terms of their ability to like fill out the roster. Um, Long term, they'll have to answer some higher upside questions, but for now, at least their their depth is looking pretty good. Yeah, I agree with all that, and I think it's worth mentioning with Stutzla that I I'm, I feel pretty certain he'll actually start the, in the NHL next year. Um, assuming that he's, he's fully recovered from his injury by that point. Um, because, yeah, Dorian has hyped him up so much that I, I don't see how they don't start him in the NHL um, next or ne- next year just because of uh, how how they're going to need to sell him to the fan base, how they're going to need to sell the fan base to uh, their future. So I think there may be some growing pains in there. Um, I think there are definitely some things with a skill set that are gonna, going to need to uh, translate to North America that I think are going to need to be worked on. Uh, the way he works in tight space. I, I, I think I talked about this in the last episode, but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect him to be a world beater already. He could be. I think his ceiling is high enough that he could one day be like a art heart, like a art Ross trophy winner. Like I, it is that high, but again, he's young. It's going to take some time. Um, but yeah, he's a special player, um, but let's not put too much pressure on him already. Totally. And it, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch uh, battles at, at the beginning of training camp. Um, last question comes in from Andrew. <clears throat> he says, what are the better odds of happening? Bringing in rentals like Vatnin or helping facilitate trades from Tampa or other teams in cap hell? Um, see that's, that ship seems to have sailed right now. Uh, they, they've, they, the Sims are on an internal budget as, as you may have come to know through this podcast. Uh, but they seem to have spent all their money on RFAs, on trades, on Dadanov, um, so at least to me, it seems like they're maxed out financially and just really focusing on like, securing the last few RFAs. So, uh, I'm not optimistic that they're going to go for one of those, um, trades to bring on cap. 
the only times they've actually had to do that is when they're trying to get rid of another bad contract. So um, I don't have faith that even though those are the moves they should be doing and utilizing their cap space in that way, uh, I do not have faith at all in the sense actually doing the right thing here. Yeah, and I think they definitely have, or they would have at least had opportunities. I don't know how much money they can add or if they can add any at this point. Um, but, you know, a smart move would be, so like Tampa has, I think, man, like $3 million in cap space, and they still have to re-sign Anthony Sorelli, Mikhail Sergachev, and Eric Chernak. So um, I remember uh, Thomas Drance was on the Hockey PDO cast, and he was talking about how you could pretty much be guaranteed of getting yourself Eric Chernak for a second-round pick if you offer him like a you know $4 million or something. And that might be a bit of an overpay, but... You know, Ottawa has three second-round picks next year. I would totally do that for a you know a young right-shot defenseman who can hopefully slot in on that on that second pairing. And but, he's Christian, and he's the cousin to Christian Yaros. I love. Yeah, that. you're right. You're right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, he was. I forget when we did this, but I had I had talked about trading Trinac for a second-round pick. I think like I don't know months ago as, as an option. So if you offer Sheetem, and you know you only have to give up a second-round pick, I think that's totally worth it. So. It's not something that will happen, especially because it's an offer sheet and, you know, those that hasn't worked in, in years. But <laughs> I think a smart team should do that. Um, not that I would expect any team to, team to do it, to be honest. Yeah, and is that smart team the sends? I mean, odds aren't in that favor. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, now, that was our last listener question. Um, so thank you again for, for sending those in. And... Um, you know, for for next episode, we will be sure to to tweet out when we're uh, when we're about to start. But moving on to our last segment, and you know what, I'm just calling. I'm gonna give you the floor for this. All right. Well, you ranted about Sense Fandom last week. I'll rant a bit this time. But um, essentially, I'm leaving the Cosper Point Cast. Um, it's it's sad to say. Um, I've had so many great memories here, uh, but it's just a bit about time for me to take a bit of a step back now. Um, look at things from a more wide perspective on uh, what I'm doing with hockey coverage for the next few years or for the next while. And uh, unfortunately, this is my last episode. It's been a pleasure um, to um, entertain, I guess, all of you. I don't know. <laughs> it's so weird, man. Um, but just to be clear, we're not going anywhere, the Cosper Point cast. Well, I am, yes, but Trevor's still... <laughs> uh, tre- tre- Trevor will still be, still be manning the Cosper Point cast. Um, and he has some great ideas lined up um, that I, I, I'll, I'll still be a frequent listener here. I, I, I hope that you will still will be too. Um, and that, that this split is totally just coming from my end, looking at things that Trevor and I are still like great, great friends that we're uh, uh, still love doing this. So um, I don't know. I just want to talk a bit about maybe why I'm choosing this. And for me, at least personally, it's because the Sens just aren't a fun team to cover right now. And this is something I've been struggling with for a while. Um, and I think a lot of it stems from just the moral qualms that they that they keep throwing in our directions. And we talked a bit about that today, but this is this has gone on for way too long now. And I think it's uh they, they just really haven't been giving me that re- those reasons to support the team other than just purely existing. Everything they've done outside of that has really turned me away from wanting to support them in that way. Um, like the, the, the one I keep coming back to because it's so gross and disgusting. I still can't get it out of my head is when, uh, when they defended Randy Lee, uh, by not putting him on leave immediately, which is totally gross and inappropriate. And then hiring a lawyer to defend him after that, uh, an expensive lawyer at that. Um, 
geez, uh, and that, that's only it's only the top of the list. We, we've seen the Twitter threads of everything the Sens have done since then uh, and in between then. Um, so I'm, I'm surprised that my last draw hasn't been pulled since then um, because the melanic apathy, as I mentioned, it's real. And the discourse around it is super tiring um, because everything is being marked with an asterisk. Um, and that's just not fun to do. And I want to mention that I don't want to be policing people into <laughs> um, you can be positive and have this elk on the sentence and look at the sentence in this vacuum. I, I totally support that and more power to you. Uh, that's just not the way I operate. And I just feel uh, more insufficient with continuing to give this team uh, this type of free coverage. So I think I will be seeing this reflected in my Silver 7 coverage going forward. Uh, this is just my personal view on things. Um, again, I don't want to demean anyone from supporting the team. But uh, I don't know. I just want to get a little rant a bit about where things are at. Um, I hope you're all doing well. And I hope you still tune into the Coffer Point Cast because, again, Trevor's got a lot of great things going. And I, I just want to thank all of you, too. All of you listeners, I, I still can't believe how many of you tune in uh, every <laughs> every time we post. Like, I, I'm not really one for checking the statistics too much, but whenever I do or whenever Trevor points me to it, it's I, I'm I'm constantly blown away. When we did the draft faders, we got into what was it, the top ten or something in hockey podcast somewhere around there. Yeah, <laughs> it was something crazy like that, and like I, I'm so appreciative of that. Uh, y'all have opened uh, some amazing doors to me. Um, I also need to thank Trevor, of course, who gave me this opportunity in the first place. I always like to bring it up that he was the one who originally got me into hockey coverage into the box here in the first place. Reading his stuff at Sendshot really inspired me. Uh, I never thought I'd be a podcaster, but uh, I mean, hey, I'm a white guy in my 20s. Where do you think I'd end up? So, um, And yeah, again, to all of you, all, all the guests as well, um, who've uh, graciously joined the show. A uh, huge thank you to everyone. So, well, that's all from me at the Cost for Pointcast. Now on out. And Colin, I just got to say, I'm so humbled and, and, you know, it was easily the best decision uh, for the show to, to bring you on. It, it was almost exactly two years ago. I'm pretty sure uh, I brought you on as a guest when Matt Duchesne got traded to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, I believe after that we started, um, you know, having full-time episodes with, with us together. And I think I got to go check the numbers, but we might have exactly 50 episodes together somewhere around there. Um, so the fact that you were on for that long for almost two years, like that's honestly, like it was so awesome. And, you know, we didn't start the, the, the Twitter account, uh, CP Pointcast until, until you got here. So I think the show really took off after you got here. So honestly, like, you know, just a pleasure having you on. And, um, I think, you know, I'm definitely going to be sad that you, they, they won't be around and, um, I'm sure the listeners will as well. So yeah, just very humbling to hear that. You know, you started writing because of me. I think that's insane. Like, I can't believe I had, uh, you know, any sort of impact on, on a person like that. But, um, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't have wanted to host this podcast with anyone else. And, um, you know, for the listeners, as Colin was saying, Cosper Pointcast, it's not going to die. It'll, you know, the first, I think, 29 episodes, I believe, were, you know, just me interviewing different people. And it's going to continue like that. So, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the next episode will be or when it'll be, but, you know, I'm still going to bring on some re- very good guests and, uh, you know, still bring some uh, some pretty good sense content out there. So, um, yeah, just just for Colin, like it's it's been a pleasure and thank you so much. And, and even for, you know, things like the draft debater series, like that was awesome. I mean, you've that was probably what, like 15 episodes or something like that. And, you know, you did all that hard work. So very much appreciate you coming on the show and it's going to be sad, not going to lie. Um, I think a lot of people will miss you, but 
just, you know, all the love in, in the world for you. And um, <laughs> for the listeners that don't know, we've never actually even met in person because we live <laughs> in, you know, I, I'm, out, I'm out here on the West Coast. So uh, it would be awesome to just, you know, finally even meet you uh, in, in real <laughs> Same, life man. one day. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I don't know, any, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off? Man, it's just been an honor and a pleasure. Um, I don't know. I think that's everything. Peace out. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, and you can follow Colin on Twitter at CutmoreColin. You can follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack, where I'll be providing lots of content about the NHL in general, and sometimes even Ottawa stuff. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send us a message at CP Pointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Although Colin is leaving, the CPP will still be around, so I hope you keep tuning in. Adios.